Welcome to the First NAS Podcast. Today, Pastor Becca is talking about motivation and how it moves. Uh, she'll be preaching out of Luke chapter 17 this morning. So let's listen in to her and hear what she has to say about motivation from the Word of God. Um, today, we are going to be in Luke chapter 17. So if you want to go ahead and turn with me there. Um, and as we are doing so, I wanted to do something a little different today, if that works for you guys. Um, I wanted to take a poll, and I wanted to see what First Naz thinks about a very important question. And this very important question is, what is your favorite dessert? So I want you to think about what your favorite dessert is. If your favorite dessert is something specific like Brenda Kennedy's chocolate chip cookies, because if you've had them, you know they are fantastic. Um, for the purposes of our poll, we're just going to generalize it and say cookies. Okay, so you guys have your favorite desserts. Um, if your favorite dessert is a cake, raise your hand. Oh, wow, nobody really likes cake in here. <laughs> okay. Oh, I have, I have a little hand over there like she doesn't want people to see that she's one of the cake people. Um, if your favorite dessert is a cookie, raise your hand. Oh, I had the really long hand up there. Yep. Okay. Wow. If your favorite dessert is a pie, raise your hand. Oh, okay. So first, Naz really likes pie. What about ice cream? Okay, I'm really glad. I thought it was the only one. That makes me really excited. And then the last one, if anybody has a dessert that is something else that hasn't been mentioned, go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, there's a couple of you. Take just a couple of seconds, get to know your neighbors, and tell them what your specific favorite dessert is. Go. Yeah. Peppermint ice cream. Okay, I have another question. Was anyone's favorite dessert a Twinkie? Hey, we have some people. Okay, this is unexpected. This is really exciting. I had two hands raised and one was really high, like he wanted everybody to know that his favorite dessert is a Twinkie. Now, I want you to think, for the two of you that said your favorite dessert is a Twinkie, how much money would you pay for a Twinkie? Just think about that in your own head, just rhetorical question. Um, I did not think that that is a very sought-after dessert, and most of you also uh, agreed with that. I talked with Pastor Paul earlier this week, and I asked him, we were talking about Twinkies, and I had asked him if that was in the cake category, and he said yes, and then a couple of moments later, he said, eh, you know what, I think it's probably in the lab-created dessert category. Um, that sounds appetizing, doesn't it? So, I have a story. Here we go. Let's make sure this doesn't move. I have a story. When I was a teenager, um, I grew up in a church, a Nazarene church in Southern California. And so, as um, Nazarenes, missions is really important to us, as it is in this church. And so, we had a dessert auction one year, and I'm sure that we had dessert auctions many, many years, um, because that's just, you know, something that you do and you raise money. Um, this particular year stuck out to me. Um, and it's weird because I don't remember what else was auctioned off. I don't remember what all the decadent desserts were, if they were warm breads or um, freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. But I do remember the very last dessert. 
And the very last dessert that was auctioned off was a Twinkie. And this is exactly what it looked like. It was one singular, yeah, like, and I didn't, I didn't glue that on. Like, that is just how it is. Lab-created dessert, right? Delicious. So, as I asked rhetorically, but, you know, just think in your brain, how much would you spend for this Twinkie, right? Um, so, this was the last dessert of the night, and I am thinking, well, first of all, I'm perplexed as to who would, you know, put a Twinkie in there. Um, but I was thinking, maybe $5, right? You could buy a box of Twinkies. This was like mid-2000s. So, I mean, you could buy a box of Twinkies at the store and get a whole bunch. Maybe $10, maybe even $20, because... It's for missions, right? The, the money is going not necessarily for the dessert. It's going to benefit missions. Um, and then it got really weird because the auctioneer kept going higher and higher and higher. And so we're like, wait, what is going on? People are starting to take notice when this Twinkie was going for in the $100 range. Um, yeah. Uh, and this was well real quick before the scare of 2012 when the Twinkie was going to go extinct, if you guys remember that. Because Hostess, oh, I have some head nods. Hostess got, like, went bankrupt, and they were going to say no more Twinkies. And so for, like, six, seven months, there were no Twinkies. This was before that. So this wasn't even, like, sought after. Um, so then I was thinking, is this a magic Twinkie? Is it special? Because clearly it is important because somebody is spending some money. Um, when all was said and done, the one singular Twinkie at the end went for $1,000. Yeah, exactly, right? $1,000. My good friend's dad was the highest bidder, and they got to take home the prized dessert. Um, and I was super, like, super curious as to why in the world would somebody buy a Twinkie for $1,000. And so I asked her the next time I saw her to explain why that would have happened. And her response was something I had never forgotten. But I'm going to leave you guys on a cliffhanger. I'm not going to tell you yet. Uh, keep listening. We're going to get there. Um, but first, we're going to turn to the Bible. Um, we are going to go ahead and read Luke chapter 17. We'll be beginning in verse 11. And if you would stand with me for the reading of the gospel, that would be great. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. You may be seated. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love that the author of Luke starts off this story reminding us that uh, Jesus was continuing on his way to Jerusalem. In just a few short chapters, um, Jesus is going to arrive in Jerusalem with the triumphal entry. And by the end of that week, Jesus is going to experience what it was like to be arrested, tried, and crucified. Also in Jerusalem, we get to see him be resurrected. 
and conquer sin and death. This reminds us um, that Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, is to put into perspective the ultimate purpose of Jesus' ministry. And that is that Jesus left his place in heaven with God the Father and the Holy Spirit to be born of a virgin and experience life as a human. Why did he do this? So that we could experience salvation. He walked this earth. He experienced betrayal in a criminal's public, humiliating, and painful death to make a way for our salvation. Jerusalem was the place where Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice that opened up the door for us to be made right with God now and for eternity. And this is something that we couldn't do apart from our Savior, Jesus Christ. So getting to Jerusalem was a really big deal. But the author then shares a story right after saying he's on his way to Jerusalem. He shares this story about encountering the ten men with leprosy. If Jerusalem was the only reason why Jesus came, um, I wonder how different the Gospels would be. I imagine they'd be much shorter. The author, though, knows that Jesus also came to build relationships with people. All throughout the Gospel accounts, you see Jesus interacting with people to show them that they, he loves and cares for them. And it's no different here. Jesus' plan, yes, is to get to Jerusalem that has been established. But the author also reminds us that it's in Jesus' very nature to see people. There are three truths that we can um, see out of this passage today, and this is the first one, that Jesus sees you. There are different ways to get from Galilee to Jerusalem. And here in, in Luke, if you kind of read through Luke, he takes a rather odd path, and he's kind of going back and forth. And what I think is worth noting is that Jesus is in, is in the business to encounter people. And I think that that's the only reason why he takes odd paths. Because again, if he was just getting to Jerusalem, he just would have gone to Jerusalem. Um, Jews at the time would have taken extra caution to avoid Samaria. Um, Galilee is where Jesus was doing all of his ministry. Well, a lot of his ministry, not all of it. But a lot of his ministry was done in Galilee. And Samaria was the home of the half-breeds, the, the ones that Jews thought were um, religiously unworthy. And yet, Jesus ended up finding himself and putting himself in a place where he would have to interact with people because he's on the border. If you're on the border of somewhere, you're going to interact with people in both places. We live in a border town. We interact with people from Lewiston and Clarkston all the time. And Jesus put himself in that place that he would have to interact with people that may be seen as unworthy in other people's eyes. In this specific instance, he encountered 10 men with leprosy. And leprosy was kind of a blanket term at the time to uh, describe anything that was visible skin diseases. And because for fear that these symptoms would end up kind of jumping to somebody else or transferring to somebody else, these people were alienated out of society. And not only were they removed from society, um, they were probably humiliated every single time somebody came any what close because they had to shout, unclean, unclean, as in don't get close to me. You can't touch me. You can't be near me. By the end of this passage, we also learn that there is a Samaritan man amongst the lepers. 
the text doesn't show who the other nine are. It doesn't say that these nine are these ethnicities or these, these people. Um, but we can, we can think that they're probably Jewish people because it highlights in the text that the Samaritan was a foreigner. The Samaritan was somebody different. It's interesting because it would be unheard of for Jews and Samaritans to be in good company with one another. Um, and yet they found camaraderie in dealing with leprosy together because they were alienated from everybody else. Every time I hear stories of people with leprosy, I immediately think of what their life could have been like or was like before the disease. Because surely they had lives, right? Surely they had families, a place to live, um, a career, friends, family. But once they contracted leprosy, it's not something you could have hide or you couldn't you couldn't hide it. It was visible, um, and everything that they had ever known was forced to change. They had formed a community together, not because they had common interests or because they wanted to be together the way that we would often get together with people. Um, they ended up banding together out of necessity. I imagine that they would get together and tell stories about what it was like for them before leprosy. I imagine they would get together and talk about what would happen, what they would do if they were somehow able to be um, cleansed of their leprosy. I assume that the desire in their hearts to be cleansed was in the forefront of their mind because it was not something that they were ever able to forget. They were constantly reminded that they were untouchables. So when Jesus walks by, it appears that they recognize this man as the one who has power to make them well. For they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus looks at them. He sees them. Most people wouldn't have even glanced in their direction because they were diseased. Let alone if one of them happened to be a Samaritan, it would have been a double no-no. But Jesus is not like the others because he sees people. And he sees all people. A very apparent theme, if you've read through the Gospel of Luke, um, the, a very apparent theme is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. There were no stipulations on who were uh, going to be sought after or who could be saved. The Jews, they would have had a list of people that they probably would have had that were too far gone or too far lost in order to be saved or to have the, the love of a Messiah. But Jesus doesn't have a list like that. Instead, he probably does have a list, and this list is for the people whom he loves and whom he died for. And what's amazing is that every single one of our names is on it. Every single one of those Jews' names were on it. The Samaritans were on it. Everybody in our world is on that list. There is nothing that can separate us from Jesus' love and his compassion. I'd also like to point out that we are to live our lives like Jesus. And so this is an invitation for us to see people all around us too. Maybe it's a coworker or a family member or just an acquaintance that you have that you just rather not pay attention to. I'm sure you guys know some people. Um, but if we are seeking to become more like Jesus, then we need to open up our eyes and look around because there are people who need to be seen, just like these lepers. 
The second truth that we can see coming out of this passage is how healing is not always immediate, but that our faith and trust and hope in the Lord can be. After the ten men with leprosy cried out to Jesus, he looked at them and he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, these men probably were figuratively scratching their head or maybe even actually scratching their head when they were told this because the only reason you would go to a priest is if you were cleansed already. And they look down and they're still lepers. I mean, it's not something you can hide. Um, This would have been in line with the Old Testament um, law that's found in Leviticus that says when a person is healed from a serious skin disease, they are to go to a priest. That priest is to examine them and see if they are clean. If this priest decides that they are clean, then they would go through a purification ceremony. And this ceremony would include sacrifice and all kinds of rituals, and it would take quite a bit of time. And once all is said and done, the person would be deemed clean and would be given the green light to go back into society. So it was kind of this whole big thing. But it would have been pointless to go to the priest if you still had leprosy, because a priest cannot clean or cleanse you of this disease. So in this moment that Jesus told them to go, they were lepers. It would be nice if we could experience uh, things right when we want them, right? I have a three-year-old and a two-year-old, and they always tell me, but I want it but I want it. It would be nice, and I would love to be able to give them everything they wanted, Um, but that's not always the case. To have the satisfaction of needs and wants met in that very instant that we ask is awesome, and sometimes this does happen. Sometimes we do experience God's power and his might and his blessings in the very moment that we plead with him. but we can also praise God in the waiting. He's at work then too. We may not see how, we may not see or understand, and we may not agree. How many times have I pleaded with the Lord and said, when, when is my loved one going to be healed? But in that time, we can also trust that God is who he says he is, and he is faithful. As we wait, spiritual growth takes place. Because in times of trouble and desperation, we are faced with who or what we actually put our trust in. Oftentimes, people rely on their own selves, but then they learn that that can never fully satisfy. There will always be something missing. They will always be searching for something and desiring for something more. In these periods of waiting, we can take heart that God is there. He sees us. He is with us. Healing may not be immediate. I wish that it was. But our trust and our hope can be. The men with leprosy were faced with a choice when Jesus tells them to go to the priest. So on the one hand, they could go. And they could go to the priest without knowing if it was all for naught or if they were just going to take a really long journey and then come right back home. Um, On the other hand, they could go back living exactly how they were doing and take an attitude of, I'll see it, or if I'll believe it when I see it. Um, And that's not saying that it's not going to happen. That's just saying, I'd like 
proof before I put one step in front of the other to make that, that move, to make that journey. All ten lepers, though, decide to follow Jesus, to, to begin the journey, to go to the priest, because they had hope in Jesus, not because they had evidence of their healing. And I wonder why this is. And I think it's because they had heard about him. Typically, when somebody comes close enough to these lepers, um, they would first shout, unclean, unclean, and then they would beg. They would beg for alms, beg for money, because they were unable to work. They were unable to provide for themselves. But that's not what they do when Jesus comes near. If you remember, they first address him by name. Jesus, Master, and then they don't ask for alms or they don't beg. Instead, they plead with him to have mercy on them. They approach him with a request that they believe he can fulfill to heal them from their leprosy. The fact that they knew him by name makes me think that they had heard and were familiar with stories about the miracles Jesus had been doing. They may have even heard about how Jesus cleansed a leper earlier in his ministry. And we read this in Luke chapter 5. This was a little different, though, because this was one man who had leprosy. It was an advanced case of leprosy, and he was healed immediately. Jesus reached out and touched this man and said, Be healed, and instantly the leprosy disappeared. So if these ten men here on the border between Galilee and Samaria had heard this miracle, they would know that Jesus could, in fact, heal them. They had hoped that Jesus was God and was all-powerful. So even though they didn't experience healing immediately the way that they had heard other people may have, um, what they did experience was to have hope and trust in Jesus, and they followed his command with the anticipation that he is faithful. It's hard for us to wait. Uh, waiting is not easy for even the basic things, but it's definitely hard for us to wait when something that's heart-wrenching is happening in our lives, when we are experiencing suffering or we are watching somebody who we love suffer. And I wish that I had answers, and I wish that I could tell you why or when some of these things would would people would get relief from them. But what I can tell you is that God is a big God. And even in the waiting, we can hold on to hope that Jesus is there. He is proven faithful. The final truth that we can learn from this account is that we can know the healer. As the lepers went on their way to the priest, um, sorry, when the lepers went on their way to the priest, they were cleansed. And one of the ten men was a Samaritan man. And he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God! And he fell at his feet and he gave gratitude to the Lord for his healing. But only one came back. It's true that ten men experienced healing, but only one experienced who the healer was. I shared earlier that Jesus is in the business of relationships. He's not some genie who just grants wishes and sends you on your way, but instead he's inviting us into life with him into eternal relationship that begins right now in this life and begins right where we are. The Bible doesn't share what happened to the other nine now former lepers, 
It just says Jesus questioned and said, you know, where are they? And recognizes that they didn't come back to give glory to God. That's it. I imagine, though, that the nine couldn't wait to reintegrate back into society, to get the okay from the priest and to feel accepted again and to, to feel like they had purpose again. They would have likely gone to see their families and begin to live without looking back. They experienced healing and they moved on. The Samaritan, however, recognized that life could not move on without Jesus part of it, for that was his story. Jesus told him, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. And the word healed here is different from the word cleansed earlier. In this word, when he says, your faith has healed you, the connotation is that this man experienced salvation and deliverance beyond the healing. He experienced wholeness, lacking nothing. And what we see today is that Jesus offers this to those who ask and who reach out to him. Okay, so we're going to go back to the story of the Twinkie. So this Twinkie, right here, $1,000 Twinkie, it looks pretty, um, it looks pretty appetizing. Um, I asked my friend, I was perplexed as to why my friend's family would spend $1,000 on this Twinkie, and she enlightened me. She shared me that, she shared with me that her dad, who I had known for several years at this point, um, was diagnosed with cancer um, when she and her sister were just little girls. Um, we were teens at this time, but when they were just little girls, he was diagnosed with cancer and was told that he did not have a good prognosis and to make memories because that was probably all he had because they didn't know how much time he had left. Um, she said that his odds of, of overcoming cancer were, were slim. This was a complete shock to me because I've seen this man. I knew this guy. He was at all church functions. If the door was open, he was there. Um, he participated. He volunteered. He did so much. And I was confused because I'd never seen this man look anything but healthy and active. She said that he had been healed for 10 years at that point. And so this was his testimony of giving us $100 for every year that he had been cancer-free and so that's what went into the $1,000 Twinkie. It was given out of a place of complete gratitude, not because the $1,000 was going to pay back and, you know, be enough to thank God, but it was money that was given for the expectation that something was going to happen, that people were going to be able to know who the healer was because of this money. If you remember, this auction was for missions. And so their family thought that it was necessary that as long as they were alive and as long as they had breath and they had resources and they had time, that they were going to make sure that people knew who the healer was too because they had experienced him. This man is still alive today and he is still leading mission trips and he is still active in NMI at their church. He might even be the NMI president. Um, and this is his life passion is to teach people and to tell people who the Lord is and not just tell them but to invite them into relationship with him. This man could have just chosen to know healing. He could have he could have experienced the healing and never looked back and did all of the bucket list things that you know he was thinking about as he was sitting doing chemo and radiation and all the things that go into it. And yet he knew that life could never he could never live life apart from God. He could never experience wholeness 
without him. So to this day, he expresses gratitude again and again and again, remembering how God moved then and continuing to recognize how God is moving now. Even if healing isn't immediate or the results that we want aren't actualized, we know that the healer offers eternal, eternal salvation. The healer who will heal, maybe not on our timeline, but who will heal, will make all things new. And this is the hope that we can hold on to, that Jesus is coming back, and that there is a beautiful promise and hope that he will set all things right. So what do we do with the story? How does reading the story about the ten lepers in Jesus change anything for us today? Um, I think that we should look at each person in the story and recognize that their motivation moved them into action. And our motivation moves us into action as well, sometimes positively and sometimes negatively. So first we can look at Jesus. He was, he was and still is motivated by people. He is the Son of God. He emptied himself of divine privileges, as it says in Philippians 2, to be born of a human. He left his heavenly throne to dwell among us. He journeyed to the cross. He experienced humiliation and incredible pain, all because he was motivated to save those who would ask Jesus to be Lord over their lives. Here, he could have taken a much more typical route. Like I said, he could have just kind of skirted around Samaria, and yet he chose to put himself there on the border. He chose to engage with the men who were so often overlooked and dismissed most people would have turned the other direction. But Jesus doesn't turn away, and he doesn't turn away from us. Jesus was and still is motivated by seeking and saving the lost. And this hasn't changed. And it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter if you're an outcast or if you feel like you've just made mistake after mistake after mistake. Or maybe somebody tells you that all the time. Maybe somebody tells you that you are a mistake or that you have just continued to screw things up, let me tell you that Jesus came for sinners and he's still seeking after us. You are being sought after no matter where you've been, where you are, where you are in this faith journey, where you feel like you are today. Um, Jesus wants a relationship with you. And let me tell you, it will change your life. Next, we can look at the lepers. These 10 men had diseases that caused them to be removed from society. After hearing about this miracle worker, Jesus, I imagine they sat around daydreaming, wondering what would it be like if they ever got to encounter him. I imagine they would talk about what it was like to, or what it would be like if they were ever free from leprosy. And then the day came. Jesus was walking towards them. And instantly they knew that this was their only hope. The priests couldn't make them clean. They were not getting well on their own. That Jesus was their only hope of having a normal life again. So when Jesus sent them on to the priests, they had a choice. They could have either gone or waited for proof. Yet they were motivated by the hope that they could be well again. They were, being, they were motivated by the possibility that Jesus could do for them what he had done for others. They were motivated by the thought of being able to return to society. It appears that the nine, now former lepers, were motivated to resume their lives disease-free. They never looked back. 
but the lone Samaritan and now former leper was motivated to give glory and praise to God when his prayers were answered. I'm sure he was ready to go back into society too. I'm sure he was just like the others talking about what he was going to do next. But he recognized that life could not and should not continue without Jesus part of it. All ten men, all ten lepers' lives were changed forever when they were cleansed. But what they chose to do as a result shows where their hearts were. So often people will read this passage of scripture with the eyes of judgment on the nine lepers who didn't uh, go back and thank Jesus. And maybe as you're sitting there right now, you're thinking, man, they screwed that one up. Um, But instead of looking down on them, I think that we can learn from them. Because I think what they show us is what we're often inclined to do. I think we are often inclined to put our hope and trust in Jesus in times of trouble. But then we get caught up living for ourselves and forgetting to invite Jesus into our lives, especially when we're not in a season of hardship. I don't doubt that the nine lepers were thankful for their healing, but I do think that they got distracted. Let us remember that we are always called to be joyful and to always uh, pray and to always be thankful in every circumstance. That is what we are called to do, not just pray when something is going wrong, or not just be joyful when we see one thing happen. The Samaritan leper had everything against him. He was essentially a double outcast. He was a leper, so that was the first thing that was, you know, not not helpful for him. And the second was that he was racially looked down upon as well. This is someone that people would think was not even worth paying attention to. And yet he becomes the hero of this story And he shows us that no one is beyond God's grace. So I want to ask you where you are this morning. Some of us are dealing with hardship. Some of us are dealing with suffering and with illness. Or we're watching somebody that we love go through that. Maybe some of us are in a season of rejoicing. Some of us might be in a season of just being content. Just going through life and things are good. But wherever you are, I want to know, I want you to think of, if you've invited Jesus into your life. And I'm not talking about when you've invited Jesus into your heart when you were at children's camp or teen camp or years ago an experience when you had a come to Jesus moment. Instead, I want you to think, have you invited Jesus to be in your life today with what's going on in your lives now? Think about what motivates you. Who or what are you motivated by? Because whatever motivates you will move you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your love for us. It's undeniable. We know that you came for us. You sent Jesus even when we were sinners. And I thank you for that. I thank you that we don't need to do this long list of things in order to be worthy. In order to earn or to merit our salvation. I thank you today that we're reminded of the fact that each and every one of us is on your list of who you love and who you came to save. There is no one who is beyond your grace. There is no one that is beyond salvation. God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you give us eyes to leave here and see people the way that you see us. 
I pray that as that person comes into our lives, that just, you know, irks us. I pray that you can give us a spirit of Jesus to look at that person and say, you are loved, that you are worthy, that you matter. God, for some of us today, I pray that they can say that to themselves, that they can hear your Holy Spirit speaking into their lives saying, you matter, you are loved, you are important. I'm here for you. I will not leave you. God, there are some of us going through hardships today. Some of us who it was hard to leave the house and drive here because of the things that are on our mind. God, be with them. May they feel an overwhelming sense of your presence. God, it's hard, it's hard to hope and trust when we don't see results, when we don't see evidence of you being at work. But God, I'm thankful that we can come together, support one another in this place. You've called us into community. You've called us to be able to come and to support one another and to share testimonies and to lift one another up to be there just to listen, to be there just to sit, sometimes even in silence. God, I'm reminded in the story today that somebody, someone, some people had to tell the lepers who you were. I'm thankful for those people. They're not in the story, but somebody had to have told them who you were because they knew you by name. God, give us the courage to share our testimony with people. By the power of your Holy Spirit, help us share what you have done in our lives to be an encouragement to other people so that when you're at work in their life, they can look and they can recognize you. God, we thank you that you are the ultimate physician, that you are the healer, and that you want to be in relationship with us. We thank you that you're not just a genie, but that you're someone who opens your arms wide and says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, for I will give you rest. God, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing upon you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are dismissed. Thanks for joining us for the First Mass Podcast. We look forward to seeing you in person at 1700 South 8th Street in Lewiston soon.